Hey folks, welcome back to the VC3Cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. We are here for the second week of Our Worlds at War. Uh, this week was the, uh, so the, the... The event was kind of split into three events, and last week was the Prelude to War, which I think all of us felt like was... Um, there were there were good moments, there was not so good moments, but we didn't feel like we had a great sense of sort of what the event was going to be. This week is called All Out War. Boys, do you feel like we had a better sense of what this event was this week? I think so. Um, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I uh, I do think we got a better sense of what it is, but I also think like... Some issues still. Some issues got that across better than others. I think. Yeah. Some some issues still felt like they were doing their own thing in their own runs, rather than contributing to the event as much as they could have, or as much as I expected them to. Sure. One. So 100%. I think. Percent. Yeah. Yeah. You. So you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I do think. I do think the idea of what this event is came across uh, better and more clearly. But I still felt like some some were really lagging in their contribution. I also feel like there's not a ton of time spent on the motivation for is it Imperiax? I, I think I'm always mispronouncing it wrong incorrectly. Um, I think Imperiax. Imperiax. Yeah. Okay. I feel like there's not a ton of motivation for why Imperiax is doing this. A couple of times there's like vague descriptions of it, but but there's not like an inciting event. That leads to this, it seems like. No, he kind of seems like he's just like a force of nature character. He's like a Galactus. Yeah, it seems he really is. He's a he's totally a Kirby design. Oh, oh, for absolutely, sure. Yeah, yes. yeah. And one of the books this week really leans into the Kirby stuff. And, mm-hmm. and there, there is a bit of something that is just like. I'm kind of surprised to see it here because it's just like straight out of everything that DC has done, like for the past 20 years of like the multiverse, like earth being the, the fulcrum of the multiverse. Yes. There, there was, it was some very big, like, uh, uh, doomsday clock vibes in that part. Yeah. Yeah. And even like, even like earlier than that, like with, um, you know, like infinite, like post infinite crisis era stuff, um, with like the structure of the multiverses being centered around Earth and everything. Although at this point, there are only—I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit—but at this point, there are eleven, maybe twelve and a third uh, <laughs> universes in the DC multiverse. Um, yeah, well, those aren't like I want to say. Stated. I want to say those aren't even. Um worlds as much as dimensions sure i think you're probably right yeah although they are depicted as like earth yes, like we yes, get the we get yes. the like spread of earth that became like extremely iconic in well i guess like crisis on infinite earth did that first um and then like it became like even more so with the with the 52 uh post infinite crisis but 
Yeah, should we go ahead and just jump in sure. at the beginning here? Yeah, okay. go go ahead, Captain. Okay, so first issue we have is Superman number 172, written by Jeff Loeb, illustrated by Ed McGinnis. So this issue opens up with the Gettysburg Address. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of that, by the way. Sorry to interrupt you right away, but there's a lot of, like... Uh quoting political speeches and thing throughout all these books. The first first two really lean into it. And my note on the next issue was, oh, fuck, I hope these speeches go away. 100%. (laughs) Yes. No, like, I I get into Superman, and, like, there's the Gettysburg Address, and I'm like, oh, okay. And then JLA, the next issue we're going to talk about, has FDR's Pearl Harbor speech, and I was just like, oh, no, this is going to be every issue. Yeah. (laughs) Um, which, like, thankfully it wasn't. But um, this is also just kind of a lot like the backwards uh, uh, Genesis account from the Secret Files issue last week. Uh-huh. Um, I just, like, don't like this type of, like, disconnected, um, like, narration thing. I, I don't like it when any comic does this ever. Usually, very rarely. I can't, I can't think of an example of a like real world speech or like piece of dialogue that runs concurrently with a story in a comic. I just, I don't think it ever works or contributes anything of value. It's just Mm -hmm. like weird set dressing. Yeah. I think that the, I'm trying to think of a specific example. I feel like it works better if sometimes I can think of of lots of examples when the last, either the first scene of a comic or the last scene of a comic will have a sort of underscore of a of a speech or a famous piece of literature underneath it. Sure, but sure. Like, so but, like Al Ewing on Immortal Hulk right now is doing that fantastically. But like, but usually uh, it's limited to Watchmen one or two scenes. It. Yeah, sure, it's, you know, sure. it's and uh, you know, of course. Brilliantly, Doomsday Clock did it. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But you know, it's a uh, it, that's a much more limited example than this. I yeah. felt like I felt like when it started, you're like, oh, I understand. This is a declaration of war, blah, blah, blah. and then it just keeps going, and you're you know, it doesn't reveal anything else to you as it goes along. Once you get the initial thing, which happens like a third of a page into the book. Sure, sure. And I, I honestly just feel like it takes you out of the story because um, you are having to read these narration boxes that ultimately don't contribute to the story at all or interact with it in any meaningful way. You're just you're reading the dialogue and then you're reading this one box that has one chunk of a speech that's unrelated to anything that's going on at the time. Right. Other than like somewhat thematically um so i i think it just really takes you out of the story uh, at least that's how i felt but um not a lot happens in this issue superman fights an imperiax drone um in topeka um gets real mad he shoots his his heat vision and his frost breath at the same time, but they both look like laser beams coming out of his face. So he just has like multiple lasers coming out of his face is what it looks like. It's really funny. Um, And then he goes to Smallville because he, uh, he 
It's like I need to, you know, he needs to check on Ma and Pa, and he he can't find them and is afraid that they may be dead and, and meets up with Supergirl there. Um, so that's that's the gist of Superman 172. Yeah, I'll say that my main note for this was just how good the Superman looks in this issue. Oh, yeah. And, and, and that that's a theme of a lot of these issues. We talked about this last time, but just um, between Mike Waringo and Doug Monkey and Ed McGinnis, it's just, it's, they're the real beefy, the, the real beefy Superman. And mm-hmm. it's very good. Yeah. Yeah. Vince, any particular thoughts on this issue? Um, not really. Um, I, I like the bit where they brought out the Justice League reserves, um, mm-hmm. Beetle and Booster and all them. That's um, the next issue. Oh God, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> okay, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> that is the next issue. So moving on to the next issue, uh, JLA: Our Worlds at War, number one. Written by Jeff Loeb and written by or illustrated by Ron Garney. I think with these issues, I'm pretty much like I'm just going to give like a few bullet point notes that I took that kind of broad strokes of the issue and then we can talk about it. Sure. Um, So this issue um, features the JLA more prominently. We see them fighting a bunch of Imperiax drones and drones in space. Um, They all job pretty hard. Um, but in particular, Diana, uh, gets injured, which comes up in some other books and Aquaman seemingly dies. Um, as, uh, Vince mentioned, uh, a bunch of different teams get called in. Lex call specifically calls in the JSA Titans and young justice. Um, there is a great scene where the justice league reserves, which is booster, Blue Beetle and Guy as Warrior are fighting together, um, which uh, that is a, that's a I would love to see a book that's just those three. I know a lot of people <laughs> would just hate that, and it really depends on the creative team. But I I like that. Um, but a few other teams we see we see Zod in Germany, we see the Titans in Africa, the Outsiders in Antarctica. Um, but yeah, I mentioned Aquaman dies, and the issue ends with uh superman literally parting a red sea um with i guess his heat vision he's just he's just hopping mad and he parts the sea yeah which why why is the sea red i i don't i think it's just like it's so hot from his anger yeah that yeah so it's caused by him as well (laughs) yeah yeah because that'd be before that it was just it was the ocean and it was water (laughs) And, and then it was red um which it's dramatic effect i guess you know and it is it's a dramatic scene he's really he's really upset um but yeah what what did you guys think about this issue um it was okay i i don't feel like this was a particularly good or bad issue there were a couple of issues in this batch that i i liked considerably more or considerably less than this um one of the things that took me out of this issue was just how like the, there was a couple of years after Crisis on Infinite Earths, and it continued until maybe zero hour or so, maybe a little bit before zero hour, where DC made a really big point of that not everybody can breathe in space. Like Superman wore a face mask for a while when he would go into space, and in this this issue, the fucking Flash is running through space. <laughs> like there's just there's a lot of 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 silly space shit in this issue. 
um, which I don't really have a problem with. I just think it's it's a really funny turnaround from where their position on that sort of stuff used to be. Um, and I guess that this this also begins the uh, this week. A lot of it is just seeing Clark just get the shit kicked out of him, not physically but emotionally. Like you mm-hmm. know, um, we see here Arthur's death, and we see some other deaths and other close calls for with death later in the later in the week. And um, you just really see Superman brought down. And I don't have a problem with that as a device, um, really. But I just think it's. Uh, yeah, it's. I guess it's fine. Yeah, it's the definition of like a a serviceable issue. I think right down to the art, the the Ron Garney art. He's dependable, but yeah, not not... not doing anything. No, 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 no Ed McGinnis at this. Yeah, point. With, with this being like a lobe written, um, Superman centric, like a big issue. I would have expected maybe an artist that like fit in with the the McGinnis Waringo Monkey style a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anything else on JLA? Mm. I don't think so. Okay. Um, next, we've got Young Justice thirty five, written by Peter David, illustrated by Todd Knock. Uh, this issue kind of picks up on from the Wonder Woman issue last week. Um, we see Cassie, uh, Wonder Girl, try to recruit uh, Sissy, uh, a.k.a. Arrowette, who is at this point kind of retired. Um, then Young Justice gets drafted, like we mentioned last issue, but... Uh, because it would be somewhat irresponsible for the U.S. government to put minors on the front lines. They get uh, basically uh, called in to be medics on the Paradox ship. Um, and when they get there, uh, they find out that Arrowette is already there um, acting as like a, uh, I think they call her like a technician. And she's going to kind of be like liaising, li- li- she's a liaison uh, between the, Young Justice team and the rest of the paradox. So, kind of a kind of a story important issue, but also kind of not. It, this one, um, whereas like Superman and JLA were clearly like core issues, uh, Young Justice is acting a little bit on the periphery, but not as much as some of the other issues we're going to talk about later. Yeah, this this issue, um, I put has no real story. It, it's basically it exists to get the young justice characters into that medic place, but that mm-hmm. easily could have been done in, a, in one line of dialogue in a different book. You don't really learn anything about the characters here. It has that. Um, I feel like the, David and knock were like, they were very much doing a, a very idiosyncratic, like specific to them thing on young justice at this time. And I feel like whenever you see this book, try and cross over with other things, it doesn't do so very well because they have to somewhat abandon that tone or they have to bring that tone into whatever it is they're crossing over with. And Mm -hmm. in this case, I don't think the tone particularly matches very well. Yeah, they're they're still doing a lot of things that are, I feel like, specific to their run, which, you know, the the Wonder Girl, Arrowette stuff, there's some Kid Lobo stuff, there's some stuff with this new 
heroine uh, empress and her her dad and uncle which was all you know it was all like kind of nice i guess like within the context of young justice but uh did not have much to do at all with uh our world at war right no um the one thing i wanted to say that you guys didn't touch on is that like um this era at dc comics it really occurs to me there's so much going on here to sort of prop up or advance i think the the youth characters Mm -hmm. um that dc just like ever since the new 52 started um you know they're still there but they're just they're so set aside and i feel like that's even going on right now even with um even with rebirth they show up every once in a while but they're not integral they're not integral to anything really you know they're not uh, they're always off doing their own thing and they maybe bump into the justice league in an issue here and there but they're never ev- involved in like major crossovers major events um you know the de- the deathstroke crossovers from rebirth were very sort of self-contained in their own little corner didn't touch really anybody else. Whereas I feel like in this era, there's, they're so integral and there's a lot of characters that are being a lot of like, um, you know, a and B list characters who are getting almost the feeling of like being sunset in favor of some of the younger characters at this time. And I know they'll, they'll go back on that several times between Mm -hmm between now and then but like it's just such a it's such a weird feeling to read these books and then think about how how many of these characters we're just maybe finally getting back to with like bendis and whatever you know whatever comes after uh death metal you know um a lot of this stuff has been missing and, and you really feel it reading these crossovers reading this version of young justice the bendis is like finally starting to touch some of this stuff yeah yeah all right um let me just say though like what a sad state of affairs is dc currently when being used as the medics feels important yeah (laughs) you know yeah well i mean at least they're a part of the you know, at least they're a part of it. Yeah, and yeah. I think it does make sense in the context of, like, this being a story about war, and it would be really problematic for the president to make young children. And, and they kind of talk about, I guess, there's there, there has have been things, I think, kind of like what we are seeing with like Marvel right now with that um, outlawed event that may or may not still be happening where like teen teen heroes get outlawed because of the, you know, the liability, the ethics of it. It it seems like maybe David had been kind of playing around with those ideas in, uh, in young justice prior to that. So it kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Um, Adventures of Superman. Sure. Okay. Um, Adventures of Superman, number 594, written by Joe Casey, illustrated by Michael Ringo. Um, 
I liked this issue. Um, so this issue kind of picks up from the last Adventures of Superman issue because it kind of focuses a bit on Suicide Squad, the the Manchester Black-led Suicide Squad. Um, they uh, go on a mission to the JLA Watchtower to free Doomsday, um, who was apparently being imprisoned there. Um, they do free him, but he ends up kind of wrecking everything and, and seemingly injuring or killing a lot of that Suicide Squad team, including uh, John Henry Irons, a.k.a. Steele, who had volunteered for the mission for his own reasons. Um, he is pretty significantly wounded. Uh, Manchester Black escapes uh, from the JLA Watchtower uh, just after deactivating his little uh suicide squad bomb um which it seems like he could have done that at any time he just chose to wait um and then the rest of the issue is pretty much superman and doomsday just flying through space for an indeterminate amount of time just wrecking (laughs) imperiax drones until they get to the main imperiax who kills doomsday and nearly kills superman uh if it were not for dark side uh, intervening and booming him away and back to apocalypse. I like this issue a lot. Yeah, this issue was nice and lean. And um, of course, you got Mike Waringo, which just sells the whole thing. I mean, he might be the best artist in this whole bunch. And this event is full of of great artists yeah Um, but yeah i agree pretty pretty stellar action in this one thanks to him yeah i also really liked in this issue that superman basically goes after uh the sort of pro-war opinion of everybody here how he basically says that (laughs) war shouldn't be celebrated and i was raising my leftist fist the whole time (laughs) yeah Um, so i appreciated that yeah but but he's also kind of like you know he he's a lot of this week's issues like you mentioned is kind of like him like wrestling with you know the trauma he's going through as well as the things that are being asked of and required of him and in this issue he you know he has to team up with the monster that killed him to you know go kill this other being and 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 that's just another like kind of nick in his armor um so like the first so like superman the issue of superman you know he seemingly he's unable to save all the people who died in kansas he seemingly lost the kents this issue you know he's unable to save and protect steel and he has to work with doomsday um so it's just oh oh, and jla you know he wasn't able to protect the jla and he seemingly lost aquaman so he's just kind of accumulating this trauma as the crossover goes on yes that's a good way of putting it um anything else um no i don't think so okay 
Um, next, we have Nightwing, Our World's at War, uh, written by Chuck Dixon, illustrated by Rick Leonardi. Uh, this, this issue was tangentially related at best in, in ways that we maybe just don't even actually understand yet. Um, basically, the crux of this issue is that a virus, a computer virus from the future is sending people to kill Barbara Gordon. And so to protect her, her and Dick have to go through this time vortex to escape from the virus. And they keep jumping around at different times where whoever is sending the virus is sending people to kill Babs. And then they end up finally tricking it um, and making it back. Uh, which we find out that they arrived prior to when they left, which is how the people at Star Labs, I think it was, or no, Project Yesterday, uh, knew that they would be coming. So it's this weird time paradox thing. Um, There's a line in the issue that's something along the lines of like Dick and Babs' excellent adventure, uh, which is the only note that I took (laughs) for this issue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. This... This feels like an issue where it's like a time travel story where you don't know what else to do with the characters than to just send them to various time periods. And mm-hmm. it really feels inconsequential in that way. And um, yeah, um, yeah, it just it just seems like they gave Chuck Dix. They're like, you got to write a Nightwing tie in for this. And it's got to involve time travel because of this and then his way to fill 40 pages or whatever was to just, Oh, now they're going to run into some gangsters from the 1930s or whatever. And mm-hmm. yeah. So my note for this was, this was a more, um, a more palatable version of that young justice, our worlds at war book from last week. Yeah. That was also full of time travel, but this one was easier to follow and had less characters that seemingly were just doing random things. This is a relatively straightforward story, but you're right, Zach. It has almost nothing to do with the event at all. Yeah, yeah. And I think it, I think it is probably along the same lines of that Young Justice issue, because I imagine the, the, the being in the future is probably Brainiac. Um, but that is not explicit here, and at least like that Young Justice issue, even though it kind of didn't really make sense it was clearly there to kind of like frame the conflict as brainiac versus imperiax um so i yeah this issue just really ultimately does nothing other than um you know offer a little bit of uh dick babs nip for sickos (laughs) for us sickos yeah yeah um basically yeah, the, these uh, these our worlds at war one shots are a mixed bag more so than I kind of expected to. I yeah. thought that they would be a bit more important. I, um, I will say I did like the Rick Leonardi art in this. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Um, Should we take okay. a break? Or are we are we about halfway through? Uh, Let me look. Uh, we'll we'll do one more. We'll, after Superman, we'll yeah, break. one more will be about halfway. Yeah. Um, yeah, so next we've got Man of Steel 116, written by Mark Schultz, illustrated by Doug Monkey. Uh, this one picks up from Adventures of Superman, where we have the Black Racer coming to uh, take Steel away because he is dead. Um, 
and it's a little bit confusing there i feel like this happens there were there were a, a handful of times this week where i was very confused about where things were taking place or like what what point in time we were um and this issue was particularly one of those points because uh the last time we saw superman was when he had just been saved by dark side uh but this issue begins with him back on the the justice league watchtower uh trying to keep the black racer from taking steel and we find out that uh, so that that happens and then we get a flashback to when uh he was back on apocalypse and there's this whole uh additional kind of like tangent where he fights dark side um when dark side tries to give him this suit that was made from imperiax's armor um which he rejects and then he goes back to the watchtower so it 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 cycles back on itself a few times the story does and I, I found it not the most successful storytelling. I, what what did you guys think? Vince, go ahead. Yeah, I. Yeah, I agree with you. There's a there's a black racer story that comes later that um, is much much better at showing that side of things and. Yeah, I I agree with you. The the Superman books as a whole were more of a mixed bag. I felt this time around. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll agree with that. I th- I think that this issue, I get what they're trying to do, or or what Schultz was trying to do with kind of beginning and media res here. But I I think, I I don't I think this is a case of where like non chronological storytelling doesn't help the story that's being it, told. It, it doesn't serve any real purpose. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, especially because, you know, we, we start off with the Black Racer and Steel being dead, and then we jump back to the past and get a scene of Steel being alive again. And there is an interesting little scene where he um, he somehow detects someone who is there who who wasn't supposed to be detected. And it seems like that's going to be something that maybe gets picked up in the third act. Um, we don't really get anything else about that in, in this week's issues. Um but but like Vince mentioned, we do get a really nice bit with um, the Black Racer kind of uh, kind of t- tapping into his his past humanity a little bit and and the implication that he may be he, he may not be done with John Henry Irons, uh, but but we'll have to see about that. So that that's something I did want to talk to you guys about. This this event teases an awful lot of character deaths. And as far as I know, I can only think of one that I absolutely know sticks. Do, do you think if you were reading this as it came out, would you believe that all these characters are actually dead? No, I think no. I think it's a bit of a like heroes in crisis effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it's it's a similar case where it's just like they are killing so many people, not all of these people are going to stay dead. Yeah, I don't know. That that's an interesting question because like this the cynic in me says, ah, obviously not. But like if you were looking at this event and you were thinking, well, they're they're trying to position some of the some of the legacy characters to maybe take over. 
I could see that. I could see them getting rid of Aquaman at the time. You know, mm-hmm. I could see them getting rid of. Well, it, it is interesting that Aquaman would die for real, like two or three years later. Yeah, I can't even keep track. I... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, what I was going to say, though, Vince, is you've you've now twice alluded to legacy characters maybe taking over. What which characters are you talking about when you say that? I don't mean I don't mean like taking over. I mean I, I mean like um, no, I just, know what you mean. just like giving just giving the, just giving, the yeah. giving the extended cast more of a more of a more of a spotlight or more who, of a who do you feel like gets that that shine of a spotlight in these issues? Uh, I mean I, say, I don't I don't really agree with that. That's why. Well, I, Tem- I didn't Tempest feel like... gets a bit of something in the JLA issue. Like Aquaman is like, if something happens to me, you're going to have to <laughs> right, step up. But that's like yeah. one line of dialogue. You know? I, sure, I know. Sure. I, I don't. I don't mean there's some like major. What What I mean is like there's an undercurrent I feel running through this thing where like the extended cast, the more youthful cast, gets gets a little bit more mention than they usually do. And maybe I'm just being colored by the current books that we're reading, you know? Mm-hmm. But I just feel like, I don't feel like anybody in particular is being positioned to take over. I just feel like the legacy aspect runs through this whole thing. I mean, I think part of that might just be that's how DC felt at this time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You that, know, that, um, yeah, yeah. More so than like than seeing it on the page. Um, but... Okay, I, I I thought that you were implying that there were specific characters that you felt were getting the spotlight here. Like, like for instance, I, I think that one of the interesting through lines of reading all these late 90s, early aughts events the last few months has been seeing how Kyle Rayner was used in all these mm-hmm. events and how mm-hmm. Kyle was really treated like, like both a heavy hitter and also kind of... It's it's mentioned numerous times how he is essentially that he they don't use the word the torchbearer but you know that he's the torchbearer and I feel like the, I don't I don't know if there's a character in in these books that is getting that sort of same treatment as yeah the, as the spot no, character no not necessarily but there's just there's just so many legacy characters running around mm-hmm. um including like a massive JSA cast which we'll get to. Yep. Oh, and, 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 and gigantic. Also, yeah. And also, also like, I don't even necessarily mean like, I, I just mean DC was like making a, like, like what I'm saying is they're killing or they're, t- they're supposedly killing or supposedly tabling so many heroes in this thing that it makes it seem like there could be something on the horizon, even if there's not sure. Okay. Like reading okay. that, reading this at the time would have maybe felt like that to me. And because I'm not very familiar with DC from this particular, like pre um, identity crisis, I'm reading this almost thinking like, could any of this be real? And this is what it was like for the next couple of years. Cause I don't know. I didn't, I, I didn't experience DC comics in any meaningful way until 2004 or five somewhere in there and so i legitimately don't know you know what what is meant to seem important and what's not you know Mm -hmm. but like 
something that we'll talk about later in this episode, but the stuff that goes on with Diana and Hippolyta, you know, mm-hmm. that's potentially showing you like it's 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 recontextualizing a massive piece of DC comics history and then closing the door on that and moving forward from it. And that, that's what I mean more than anything. I don't mean any specific person taking over a role from anyone else. I just, you feel these like tremors that I feel like none of, none of the events that we talked about more recently for the show have felt like that. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, I I still don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. I, I, I guess this feels like such a super, and I, I don't mean that as an adjective, I mean that as like such a Superman-heavy event, and I feel like we haven't, even though there's, where we've read now two Superboy issues and two Supergirl issues, I feel like there's not a lot done with those characters. And so when I think of like legacy and future, this is so built on the back of Clark and Diana that it doesn't I don't think it feels particularly youthful or or like new status quo y, except maybe for the hop for the Hippolyta stuff, but that's just putting the spotlight more on Diana, which is not a changing of the guard at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. We we don't have to agree about this, obviously. Well, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just, I compare it to something like death metal, or like the the, or like Batman, like the main Batman title, where the where the sidekicks may as well not exist at all, you know. Um. There's just so many more characters running around in this thing. Mm-hmm. That that's that's all I'm really saying, you know. Mm-hmm. There's so many, even even more so than like, you know, the last dozen events that we read for this. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's take a break, and um, when we come back, we will talk about. In my opinion, the the second half of this chat will feature the best book of the week and also the worst book. So, to find out what those are, stay tuned. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we're back. Take it away, Zach. All right, so... For the worst book of the week, we have Superboy number 90, <laughs> uh, written by Joe Kelly and Eddie Braganza, illustrated by Pascal Ferry. Uh, my one note, this still sucks. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, so this is, I, I'm being a, a little facetious. This issue's not no, as bad it, as the last issue, I think, by not. like a fair bit. Um, it's still like very inconsequential to the Our World's at War um kind of main arc 
Um, and it really doesn't make any sense. I, I guess this is, I don't know when this is supposed to be taking place since Superboy is still running around in Young Justice 2. I mean, I guess this can just be like happening in between or, you know, before before he like goes to do space stuff uh, with the paradox. Um, but this continues the the young guardian clone storyline from the last issue with general good and the dn angels and a, just a bunch of just a bunch of names and and characters that we'll never see again um but there's this uh villainous character um whose whose name escapes me um but she apparently killed superboy's girlfriend once and uh they brought her the the girlfriend back as one of the dn angels and and this villain kills her again or or at least mortally wounds her um so she's just a, a bad person i feel like there's very this issue has extremely muddled politics about whether or not the united states is good and if <laughs> war is good and if cloning what what about clones rights i i i don't know what this issue is trying to say um because it, at first it seemed to make some like pretty scathing um uh insinuations about the united states government and military's role in in war and military conflicts but then it at the end sergeant rock comes back and he's like well this isn't real this isn't the real military this isn't real america uh, um we're good and that's kind of just where the issue leads off yeah I have exactly one positive thing to say about this issue, which is this issue has a Johnny Dangerously reference in it. And <laughs> that is it one does. of my favorite movies. And so uh, I, I have to believe that was Joe Kelly. I cannot believe Eddie Braganza has enough taste to like Johnny Dangerously. So, no, he, yeah, Joe Kelly contributed that, and Braganza did the Friends title reference. Yes, exactly. Oh, so, God. Yeah. Yeah. That was so bad. Yeah, I'm I'm probably like unnecessarily scathing to this issue just no. because no, of like how much I yeah how, how how much I dislike the last one and the fact that Brigands is attached to it. Um, but yeah, do you, do you all have anything else to say about it? Nope. Just I, I that think... like the 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 ending just proves that the whole the last two issues were basically useless when like Sergeant Rock shows up and arrests the General Good. Mm. It's just like oh, this was just. A, this was all just stalling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This meant it, it was also, it was very weird that, uh, so they have these like tens of thousands of guardian clones that are going to have the cur- the main guardian clones psyche uploaded into them, but they all end up getting destroyed, but they're all happy that they're getting destroyed. They, they're all killed, but they're happy about it. And the, in the moment that they realize uh, it's it's very weird. I don't know. It's not good. It's not good. Um, okay. Action Comics? Yeah. Action Comics 781, written by Joe Kelly, illustra- illustrated by Kano. Um, this is kind of the, I think, the the main climax of what we've been alluding to with Clark just kind of accumulating this trauma over the course of the last few issues and, and kind of losing a bit of himself. Um, 
you know, he um, he's almost kind of entering like a berserker type mode. It seems like as he's just kind of fighting against these Imperiax probes and um, the there, there's kind of a bit of a subplot um, or a B plot. Actually, it's almost kind of the main plot in a way where um, in a previous issue, Lex had arranged for Lois to be taken off of the Paradox ship and brought back to the White House. Um, and a an Imperiax drone shows up at the White House and is getting close to, um, you know, being a danger to Lex and everyone there. And so the team of uh, Sam Lane, Sergeant Rock, uh, Black Lightning, I think Power Girl is there as well. Um, and maybe a few other heroes are fighting against this drone. And um, it seems that uh, Sam Lane is going to have to sacrifice himself by detonating the the tank to create a, a nuclear blast to destroy the... Uh, the drone and Lois is calling to Clark to get him to come uh, save everyone, but he 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 can't hear it. He in his in his narration he talks about how he's he's forgetting something. He doesn't know what it is, but he's forgetting something. Um, we see Diana and Hippolyta are fighting drones in space, and one of them comes crashing to the ground, and Clark thinks it's Diana. Um, he rushes to them, uh, and it turns out that it's actually Hippolyta, um, who is, who's seriously injured. Um, and, and it's at this point that Clark realizes that Lois has been calling to him, and he rushes there, but by then it's too late. Uh, Lane, Sam Lane's already sacrificed himself. Um, so sorry, can I interrupt you for one second? Sure. Are you sure this is about when, when Hippolyta's injured? Yeah, I'm sure. Is I actually... Just... Because isn't Diana injured at this point and no. brought to like no, the med bay? I... No, Wait, that's the other issue. No. See, the, that that's one of my problems with this with this book yeah. is that this event rather is that the same thing happens to two very similar characters. I'll, I'll talk about it when we get to the Wonder Woman issue because okay. it confused me very much. And I actually, after I read that, I had to go back and okay. skim this issue again to clarify um, because I had actually read it. Very t- the first time I read this, I actually thought that like Wonder Woman was injured. Um, well, Hippolyta is a Wonder Woman. She okay, I thought that Diana was injured. <laughs> um, but yes. Um, the other thing is it. <laughs> this is very insensitive of me, but it's, like, Clark is very dangerously close to getting cocked by. <laughs> I thought that, but I, I think they play it relatively straight. <laughs> they do. Straight. They do. It, they do play it straight. But well, you're right. I, the way the, that it's drawn. The internet poisoned <laughs> part of me just can't, yeah. can't not see it. Um, yeah. Um, but it's actually, it's a very sad, it's a, this is a very sad issue because you, you see like Clark is, this is kind of his breaking point to the point where at the end of the issue, he, he kind of submits not he, he he submits not just to the u.s government which is something that he's talked about even at, in the earlier issues of this crossover uh, you know he is not a government stooge and that's always kind of been an, an i think underpinning of the character that you know it, it kind of uh 
a reaction to like the Dark Knight Returns version of Superman, which who was a government stooge. Right. Um, since that point, I think you know Superman writers make a point that he's not that, or I think at least once you get into the '90s, maybe in the '80s, he was that a little bit. Um, but here, he he submits not just the, to the government, but to Lex. Um, he says, you know, tell me what to do, Mr. President, whatever it takes to win this, I'm yours. So th- this is him clearly at his lowest. Um, and, and it's really sad. Yeah. I think that's really effectively done. Like the, the, if nothing else, like Imperiax as a threat and how it's breaking everybody, most of all Superman is really well done and that carries into this issue really well and then also the death of sam lane i feel is is really well done yeah you compare Um, it to the recent death of sam lane and in event leviathan and i i kind of think that this was handled a little bit better i think that 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 was yeah i don't think that that was handled poorly but i I think that this is better yeah yes well you know what and i there isn't so much i'm sorry to cut you off there vincey there 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 isn't so much of the like lane family drama in this and so I feel like you're you're feeling more sympathy for him because he's not a prick the whole time. I feel like in Event Leviathan he's such a prick the entire time that you don't you know that he and Lois love each other, but it's not as front and center. Yeah, and I just I like Superman and Lois's interaction in the fallout of that too. I think. Yeah, yeah. you know, like like it's it's subtle because. Lois is clearly upset, but it's also like she understands that Superman didn't let this happen on, you know, she's, it it remains to be seen how much she's going to hold it against her. And I I get the sense from the way that it's done here that she really doesn't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. They seem to be on really good terms here, like uncharacteristically. So, um, from what I feel like we're used to seeing in, in, in other uh, more recent stories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything else on action? No, um, I, I just had my note was just so much death, so much sadness. Yeah, it's very sad. Um, next, we have JSA, Our Worlds at War, number one, written by Jeff Johns, illustrated by Javier Salteras. Um, this issue is, it's ultimately like kind of the, I think the epitome of a, um, an inessential tie-in where, you know, it, it takes like a line of dialogue from one of the other issues and turns it into a 40 page story, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's fun. Like it's it's so good. I really like this issue. This is my favorite issue of the bunch this week. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I I don't know if I would put it as my favorite, but it is it's fun, it's good. Um, so the the crux of this issue is that the the heroes find out that these Imperiax drones, once they're destroyed, just kind of get re-uploaded to a main source that then like feeds them back into different drones, and the the hubs that are doing this are. Um, are they called so there's like the hollowing I didn't I didn't take good notes on this are, are the machines called the hollowers 
I'm not positive. I, I'm not. Po Essentially, there are these machines. We we get um, you know an indication. It, it may have been in this issue, or it may have been in another one. That there are these machines that are um, being built out of the impact points on each of the seven continent continents. That after a few days will eventually encase the Earth and and kind of begin harvesting its energy and that's already been happening happening on daxum uh which we saw uh the attack on daxum i think in the secret files issue um that's right yeah and uh yeah so the jsa is going to go free daxum and destroy this hollowing machine to prevent the imperiax drones from essentially respawning um and so it's not just like the main JSA team at this time, but it's like the JSA reserves as well, um, which is like close to like two dozen heroes. Um, yeah, it's the Freedom Fighters. It's um, yeah, it's 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 a lot of it's a lot of characters. It's, it's a lot it's of characters. It's basically everybody who's ever been involved with the JSA. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and we get like a, a few, like a great um, title page scene that is very evocative of, I feel like events like crisis, like big crisis events where all these heroes are on a big spaceship together. Um, and we get this JSA roll call that's just absurdly long. <laughs> um, so there, the teams break into, and this is our, just like one of our like bread and butter favorite bits where they break into smaller teams. And, and I broke these down. Um, we have kind of the main assault team on Daxum um, who are there going there to try to, you know, free the Daxamites. And that's led by Patriot, who I've never heard of. Okay, can um, I stop you right there? Yeah. I did research on this. Patriot is Uncle Sam. I well, He's the spirit of – he's the American spirit, so I wonder. Yes. Yeah. yes, he is. This was just a brief time where they made him look like a toy with a holographic face. <laughs> he looks ridiculous. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, bad. Um, yeah, so led by Patriot um, – team also has iron monroe phantom lady black condor and damage um so big um and also the ray um so big freedom fighters vibes on this team um then we have a team of magic characters who are um, going to be kind of pulling their energies to try to transport daxum back to its natural location in space uh, that team is led by Sentinel and also has Dr. Occult, Jay, Dr. Fate, uh, Black Adam, and um, uh, JJ Thunder and Thunderbolt. Um, then we've got kind of the sciencey team that's working on trying to dismantle the power source for the, the hollowing station. That's read by, led by Mr. Terrific, also has Wildcat, Black Canary, Flash, Airwave. Uh, who I think we saw recently in the uh, Grant Morrison Green Lantern annual issue. Yes. Um, uh, also, Dr. Midnight, uh, a new vigilante, and uh, Nemesis, who is a Manhunter legacy character. Nemesis was introduced in – there was a a, a, um, a series of annuals maybe the year before this where every annual introduced a new character into that book. And so she was introduced in the JSA book. Okay. Uh, she's not in very many comics, but she she pops up now and then in JSA stuff around this time. Interesting, interesting. And then the fourth team is just kind of a team of heavy hitters who are who are kind of 
be uh, kind of protecting everyone um, in space. And that's Power Girl, Atom Smasher, uh, the Hawks, Stars and Stripe, and Shining Knight. So uh, just a just a who's who of um, ah who's who. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, honestly, I, I that's kind of the most fun part of the issue is kind of seeing how the different teams break down and interact. They all, you know, do the thing that they need to do. They uh, destroy the space station and they free Daxum. They move it back to where they are. Uh, interestingly, Jade uh, kind of gets the biggest moment in this. Um, she's kind of given a, a place of importance as she is the one who fundle, funnels the magic energy uh, and, and allows them to, to all escape. Um, there, there are a bunch of, like, great just little you know character interactions i don't know if there's anything that you all want to um call out i guess i also should have pointed out that it was kind of interesting that um this uh the sandman is kind of the one calling point and all this so, so sand is the um the chairperson of the jsa at this point he is okay he is, okay yes. okay yeah which was interesting yeah he and he and hawkman have kind of a uh contentious relationship so so sand is he used to be known as Sandy? He mm -hmm. was the uh, like the ward of the Sandman, and he go he basically has st he stops aging at a certain point. So he looks like he's you know Kyle Rayner's age, but he's really in his fifties or sixties. So he and Carter were um, contemporaries, but Carter was always probably ten to fifteen years older than he was. So there's when when Carter comes back to the JSA. Sand basically says, like, do you want to be chairman again? And Hawkman says no. But then they both try and bang the same person, and uh, there's, there's some chaos, and yeah. Oh, I hate when that happens. Well, you, as, you as, essentially, essentially this, is, this is the, like, 15-year period where Carter is just trying to convince uh, Kendra that they're meant to be together, and Kendra has no interest, but Kendra wants to sleep with Sand. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have a couple notes. Uh, one is that I, I like with a cast this big, it's it's kind of cheesy how they do it, but I can't really imagine any other way. Um, almost everybody gets at least one line where they kind of they kind of clue you in as to what they're doing, or they at least catch you up with what they've been doing. Like I, I can't think of who the character is, but at one point, uh, another character talks to. Uh, this character and is like, oh, hey, you're wearing this sort of costume now. What's the deal with that? And he's yeah. like, well, I'm I'm wearing this now because you know, and it's very like expository dialogue. But I feel when you're dealing with like 30 characters, it's nice to just do that, you know. And it, it yeah, it doesn't read like as naturally as dialogue could, but um, you know, I I really enjoyed catching up with all these like extended JSA characters that as a contemporary reader, we haven't read hardly anything about any of them in so right. long. You know, it, it was interesting to see what all of them were doing or looking like back then. Yeah. A lot of this, if you were reading the JSA book at the time, some, a lot of these characters pop up here and there, um, you know, aside from the, obviously the JSA characters, but you know, you, you see, like, Stripe shows up now and then and, and whatnot. But, yeah, this is all... To me, this was just a super fun 
tie-in. And what I liked about it so much, honestly, was that they don't lose any team members along the way. This is this is the one book in this batch where it seems like there was I mean, if people's lives were endangered. You know, the the ray gets fucked up at one point, but it just seems like everybody was looking out for one another. And it, at at this time, I think both Young Justice and JSA were trying to nail home this idea of the teams being families. And this this group really just looks out for one another. I think their plan is really well thought out. I think this is a pretty good early Jeff Johns comic. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think it leans too much into the stuff that Johns would get more annoying with in the future. Um, well, let me bring up one thing: is this is this the first instance of the Johns favorite somebody getting stabbed in the chest through the back? If not, it's one of the first ones of that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> There is that, but but he lives. He does, yes. <laughs> Bitch, I lived. Um, yeah, this was really good. I I, I really liked it. Um, I love that last page where they're like, "Yeah, there were no casualties. We're the we're the, <laughs> the fucking chance." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> good yeah, stuff. It is good stuff. Okay. Uh... Batman 593, written by Ed Brubaker, illustrated by Scott McDaniel. Uh, this is this has nothing to do with no <laughs> with our worlds at war. <laughs> no, yeah, hey, hey, Commissioner, that's not Gordon. Uh, there's some weird <laughs> shit going on. Okay, see you later. Bye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, ostensibly, I guess this is connected because the there's an alien who is a refugee. I think from the Imperiax event. Um, but this, this is a straight up Gotham story. Batman's trying to track down this jewel cutter who's working for the penguin. And there's this other bit that feels like, honestly, it feels like a a bit out of Seinfeld where Bruce is like hanging out with this, this debutante whose father is in a, who has been injured recently and he's trying to get information from her. Um, I, yeah, I this. <laughs> uh, I was um, I was very surprised at just how little this had to do with our worlds at war. Second week yeah. in a row, the Batman book had almost nothing to do with it. Well, I even like I don't the, even remember. Yeah, what was there another Batman issue last week besides there, the our worlds at no, war? No, there was the our worlds at war one, but that one was just like him playing detective about that about the, the the crash in in Gotham like it wasn't it, it yeah. was there was an event that's the, the event that spurred the issue was our worlds that were related but nothing that happened in the issue had any bearing on the on the book yeah itself. it actually more than anything now that like it tied into like the Superboy story arc which is bonkers because it was both both were dealing with that star labs or not star labs but uh no yeah it's star labs um yeah, so that I, I have almost nothing to say about this issue. Same. Okay. Vince, you have anything? No. Okay. Uh, then we have Supergirl number sixty, written by Peter David, illustrated by Leonard Kirk. This is a a wild issue, but it it's ultimately very simple. It it's essentially uh, Supergirl um, realizing that a Imperiax drone is going to hit her uh, hometown and kind of rushing there to save it. Uh, the wild thing, and I'm just as I read more of the Supergirl 
series, I'm just like fascinated by what the status quo was because she <laughs> runs into what I think are two angels, but yes. one of them is like a centaur yes. with wings and is also non-binary and can yes. switch back and forth between male and female. Yes. And they and the other angel who presents only as female just got back from Las Vegas where it seemed like they hooked up and it's just like, what is happening in this book? This is wild. <laughs> so this era of Supergirl is, I feel like I have, I've read probably seven or eight issues in this run and I have, so I have a modicum of an idea of what's going on, but this is one of the most continuity dense comics you can pick up. Because just like every page, there is something that you've never seen before, unless you're reading this run of Supergirl. You know, there's this Buzz character that's like a demon, and you get this whole idea of Linda is Supergirl, but she's not really Supergirl, and there's a different Supergirl, and she looks different, and all this. And then there are these parent characters that I don't think you've ever really seen show up before. And she's based at Elysburg, and who the fuck's based at Elysburg? And there's just, it's just like there's so much in these books that if you're not reading these issues, this can be almost impenetrable to understand mm -hmm. the greater context. You understand the issue itself. But in terms of the greater context, I don't know how you, I don't know how somebody who hasn't read a couple of these issues has any idea what's happening. Yeah, uh, you you talking about how Supergirl, the two Supergirls look different. There's a very skeevy bit in this issue where the like police officers are like, "Hey, I thought Supergirl was taller. I thought she had bigger boobs," and yep. just real bad. And then her like, dad has to say like, "This one's cute too." Yes, yes. Talk yes. about my oh, daughter's yes. boobs, please. Yes, yes. Fantastic. You love to see it. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't think I'm a Peter David guy. <laughs> no. I... There are people uh, like former guests on the show, Ken Goberson, who I think grew up reading his Young Justice stuff and mm -hmm. just have a real affinity for it, maybe because it was what they were reading growing up, but I have not been impressed with any of Peter David's DC stuff, really. Yeah. I haven't read the stuff from him that's most uh, highly regarded, like like his uh, X, like X was Factor. X Factor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I haven't read his X Factor run. I haven't read his Hulk stuff. And I've read some Young Justice. And, but, but yeah, I, it was a long time ago, and, and, and was it because I was younger and hadn't read as much yeah I don't, I don't know yeah this is yeah. a weird issue <laughs> yeah um yeah anything else no okay okay so then we get to the wonder woman issue wonder woman 172 written and illustrated by phil jimenez this issue confused me a lot because at first i thought that there was a I thought there was a continuity error um, because the issue begins with Clark bringing an injured Diana to the space station and specifically to Hippolyta, which I thought, you know, this, the last time we saw those two characters was at the end of action comics. And I, I thought this does not make any sense. This, this doesn't match. As I read on, I realized that 
the beginning of this comic is actually matching more with the JLA issue, the JLA Our Worlds at War, um, where Diana is injured and Clark takes her to Hippolyta to heal. And this issue is kind of what is happening between Diana and Hippolyta, between JLA and Action Comics. Um, and I, I don't have a lot to say about all of that um the art is just spectacular i think that the, this Jimenez art is like the best non-superman art and maybe honestly it's probably better than even like the mcginnis and yeah waringo stuff if i'm if i'm being perfectly honest um it's just so good um but um uh, you know, ultimately, we just get a lot more like emotional character beats between Diana and Hippolyta leading up to Hippolyta kind of sacrificing herself to save Diana um, and dying in a fairly gruesome and, and kind of sure. horrific way, like just really brutal. Um, yeah. So a very effective tie in issue, I think. Oh, yeah, for sure. The the art is wild. It's it's Jimenez doing like George Perez. Uh-huh. This looks like Perez era Wonder Woman, really. Uh, f f the layouts and everything, um especially towards the beginning of the issue where like there's some very crisis-like imagery going on again with like um you know, characters in the foreground but then a bunch of characters in the background that kind of fill it out. Um yeah, that's I... like that's a common Perez tactic um just the you way that, that big, like uh that big catch-up page that kind of recaps the story for you and all the characters are in their heads specifically yep. are on it yep exactly and it's it's just so detailed and so beautiful and grand looking um yeah yeah great great stuff one, one of the one of the better issues and, and again the art just does so much of the the heavy lifting here that's just gorgeous to look through um one note i made is that uh, there's a point where uh a julia of daxum shows up mm -hmm. t talking to hippolyta about how diana saved her at one point that is from the <laughs> william messler lobes <laughs> i've just seen you and walt talking about uh, this because I love that arc. It's the first arc after the Perez stuff that, that Mr. Loeb's writes. Um, and it's Diana going to space, becoming a space pirate and liberating uh, intergalactic sex slaves. And it's, it's so wild and it's so good. And it's so different from everything that came before and really everything that like, Mr. Lobos brings her back to Earth, and then that's, like, rarely spoken of again, you know? It's such a weird, like, five- or six-issue diversion, but it's so good. And to see uh, Jimenez just pull from that a little bit, for, for, for no reason other than, like, if a fan, a longtime fan would, would know that, you know? Yeah. They could appreciate it. There's really no other reason to do that. Um, but I loved it. And also when Hippolyta is like burnt to a crisp at the end. Have you ever seen the um, the the Jane Austen's Mafia, the Jay Moore comedy? We, we have talked about Jane Austen's Mafia yeah. before, Vincey. <laughs> we have, yes. Uh, he looks Who's like Jay Moore. <laughs> he, 
He looks like Jay Moore when his car gets blown up. Yeah. Yes, he does. He, or she does. She I does. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. She looks, and they're feeding him the, <laughs> the little piece of fruit at the funeral, and everyone starts throwing up. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a good movie. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. There's a lot of funny in that movie. There's there's some good bits. Aaron and I almost almost once a week will say to each other that soup is good food, which is from that movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone walks up to Christina Applegate and goes Bella and she goes Lugosi <laughs> just, which is brilliant that's that's like Mel Brooks that's like yeah, late it's, Mel Brooks level it's good pun- punnery it's good uh, are we making anyway. you feel young again Zach? yeah I don't know what you all are talking about I'll, I'll google it later I don't know it's, it, it's a it's a totally nonsensical mafia parody movie okay that's that's from the late 90s or early maybe early 2000s so jay moore it may as well be a scary it may as well be scary movie but for mob movies um i would say it's more like it's uh, better yeah i would say it's more like top secret for uh Uh, zach doesn't know what top secret that's true that is true i I don't know i'm just failing miserably here okay anyway um no this is a very very good issue i um Again, Hippolyta was a big part of the JSA first arc or so, and so she mentions in this issue... We're going to find out about that in a minute, let me tell you. Yeah. Uh, Well, uh, kind of. Um, But so... Well, uh, okay. Yeah, but but like, so, but she she mentions a few times in this issue, like, how she was called to be a JSA reservist and couldn't make it, essentially, because she was... She was looking out for Diana. And there's a lot of good emotional beats in this. And I feel like this is the culmination of what really started at Crisis with Hippolyta as a character. So this is a like a 15-year build to this. And I think it's handled really effectively by Jimenez, who is, you know, who's one of the rightly uh, lauded Wonder Woman authors of the, of the 20th century. This is good stuff. Yeah, it's very good. Um, which leads us into the last issue of the week, another Wonder Woman issue, also written by Jimenez, Wonder Woman, Our World's at War, uh, written by Jimenez, featuring art by one Cliff Chang, mm. uh, Jamal Eigel, and Buzz, <laughs> um, from, 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 from Peter alone. David's, from, P- I was going to say from Peter <laughs> David's Supergirl. Yeah, that's right. What's his girlfriend? Um, Wolf. Yeah, Wolf. Um, <laughs> Zach, Zach, Zach's cap here. He gets the reference. I do. I do get it. <laughs> I know you do. Um, this issue is wild. Um, it it is. It has zero kind of, percent to do with the event. <laughs> the last, I mean, the last like three pages are like a apple. Not even like like an aftermath to. This is your basic like. Well, no, it's really not. I was going to say it's your basic, like, funeral issue or, like, death issue, but it's really just, like, the entire post-crisis Wonder Woman story summarized in 40 pages. Yes. Specifically, Hippolyta's part of it. Well, even Diana's part of it, like, I mean... It it leans a little bit... It's all sort of from 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 Hippolyta's point of view. Only, I think, because, like, she was preceded diana like it it starts at the beginning of the wonder woman mythology 
essentially Mm -hmm. and goes through the whole thing and i just i had like an inkling of how like convoluted wonder woman was post-crisis but this just made it abundantly clear um and there is like a like two-page conversation where characters basically play chicken and the egg (laughs) with like who came first um i love how they i love how they break the fourth wall a little bit with that uh-huh uh, or hang a lampshade or whatever whatever the tv tropes thing is that, sure that you're supposed yeah. to say yeah and and you know when i started this issue and i realized what it was going to be i kind of like i groaned a lot and was like i can't believe that this is the last issue that i have to read this week and <laughs> it's very i mean it's as typical of a him and comic it's very wordy oh yeah and it, it's a 40 pager but it was actually really good. I really enjoyed it once I kind of got maybe about like a third of the way through it and kind of gained some momentum. The art is fantastic. It's very weird seeing this early Cliff Chang drawing Wonder Woman and kind of how closely it kind of just just how similar it looks to what he would go on to do with Azarello. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really eerie in that way. Um, and and I, I I liked it. It it has nothing to do with our worlds at war and it's it blows my mind that it's like Jimenez was, you know, editorial is like, Okay, you gotta do a, a Wonder Woman one shot for this and he's like, Okay, I'm just gonna summarize Wonder Woman for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um the the thing that I'll that I like about this is that if you were to describe an issue like this to me i would say ah i'd rather just read i'd rather take like five to ten minutes to read i would rather take take a year to read all 700 issues of wonder woman (laughs) yeah yes exactly (laughs) god damn you (laughs) i was gonna say i'd rather read a wikipedia article that explains all of this um but, but you're right you're more accurate yeah thanks <laughs> yeah just dump on vince tonight that's all this oh, i love you <laughs> i um, it is it is an endearing trait that you would rather read 700 issues of comics <laughs> rather than check a wiki yeah yeah um i feel real good about myself right now oh no i love you stop but but uh but but what i love about this is that like it takes all that information and it puts in an incredibly attractive package. I, I like both Cliff Chang. He's one of my favorites, honestly. And Jamal Igel too, I think is super underrated and always mm-hmm. has been. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it makes for, and whoever buzz is, I'm sure did a great job. Too. <laughs> um, uh, buzz is the, the, like, um, that meme. That's like the Olympic, like the first, second, third place. Yes. And the third place person just like goes wild. That's Buzz in this. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> so I think it's great to look at. And I think, like, wordy as it is, Jimenez does a great job of breaking down a really complex, needlessly convoluted backstory into something digestible over 32, 36 pages, whatever it is. Um he does like such a great job with that that I'd rather read the comic than read a wiki because I feel like I feel like for the most part it's all covered here. 
um, you, you pretty much learn everything you need to know about the the, the post-crisis, pre-crisis convolution. Um, that I, I've alluded to that on the show, too, about how, like, a lot of pre-crisis stories have suddenly become Hippolyta stories in retrospect. And this this explains it far better than I ever could to to another person. And I think, like, if you feel like you need that, if you feel like you need to understand it, which I don't, you know, it's just it's easy enough to just accept it. But I feel like the, I don't know how you do a better job than this of explaining how stupid that backstory is. I, I agree <laughs> with all of that. My only gripe with this is that it was part of this event. <laughs> well, yeah, yes, that's sure. that's absolutely true. It, and maybe they felt like it had to be because during Jimenez's run, there was a lot of switching between... Hippolyta played a, a pretty decent-sized role, and I feel like if they were setting up for her to get killed, I get why they would... I get why they would want to streamline that and then put it away. You're right. Why is part of this event? Well, I guess because she's getting killed in this event. Um, that would be the only reason. But, but yeah, you're you're definitely right about that. Yeah. Um, weird way to cap off this week's batch of books, but still one of the better issues of the week. Yeah. And I think this a beautiful event is issue too. A beautiful issue. Yeah. Yeah. Gorgeous looking. I think this event as a whole is is pretty good. You know, we've we've had I think so too. Yeah, we've had our quibbles with a couple issues here and there and you know, a couple of them are absolute garbage, but it's I think it's just the the story and some of the concepts are very good, but it's just so bloated. Like I I feel like we have maybe had like three issues worth of maybe like a a big event story stretched out over 24 issues so far yeah yes i thought when we read last week's prelude issues it was going to be like oh well these are going to be somewhat useless but next week we're going to be like hit with all the story and we didn't get hit with all the story. There's still, no. it's still very metered out over these tons of issues. Um, yeah. But in terms of like, you know, I don't. Aside from the two Superboy books, I don't know if any single issue has been as bad as anything in JL Ape. <laughs> sure. No. You know? So yeah, no, the, definitely, the quality is is. Yeah. You know, I I feel like there's there's a really tight event here. If you just read the Superman books and like the Wonder Woman issues, but last week's Wonder Woman issues had almost nothing. Remember? Sure, sure. So some, so like, okay, yeah. So specifically, read all the Superman books and then a a handful of the Our Worlds at War one shots and certain tie-ins. I think at the end of this, it would be fun to maybe make our recommended reading order. And cut out all the fluff. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think you could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we really got spoiled by things like the final night. Yes. Mm-hmm. Some of these events that are only like four to six issues long, mm-hmm. you know, just yeah. uh, 
Because really, you you could do this story as Final Night. But they just decided... This is where DC started to decide, I think, that we're going to throw all these tie-ins in. Mm-hmm. And I make a buttload of money, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think... I. This is similar to like the New 52 time period where there were no event books for the most part. Everything were crossover. Everything was crossovers. Mm-hmm. Um, this is. I feel like this period of time is similar to that. Yeah. Um, because what? I mean, we did Day of Vengeance or Day of Judgment. Sorry. Um, which came out in 99. And the next event mini that we're going to cover is uh, Identity Crisis, which is 04. So there's mm-hmm. this like five-year gap where we're not talking about a lot of... Uh, th- there aren't a lot of events to talk about because they were all kind of like smaller crossovers. This just happens to be a larger crossover. Uh, yeah, that I petitioned to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you did. I kind of am too. You know, I know we've got one more week, but there's some good here, and I'm in, I'm interested to see how it wraps up. Um, we'll see. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening, folks. As always, um, if you have to get in touch with us, you can do so on Twitter. I am at Brian Inzanath. And I'm at Wilker Fox. And Vince is part of our at DC3Cast um, handle as well. So if you, ever, if you have any questions for Vince, you can go there to find mm-hmm. him. Uh, or you can... I all- put a great nut face on there the other day. <laughs> you did. You did. Uh, that was in the Superboy issue, right? I'm, I believe it was, yeah. yeah. So that oh, issue, boy. Good for a Johnny Dangerously reference and good for a nut face. Um, but I was gonna say, if you need to find Vince, he is—he um, saw something in uh, on, on Twitter about a uh, about the Spirit, the old Will Eisner comic, and so he is reading 700 issues of the Spirit right now to figure <laughs> out what that reference was about. <sighs> Someday I will. See, Although I, I don't—I don't think there's that many issues no, of the probably, Spirit. There probably aren't, but but that's okay. So anyway, thanks for listening, folks. We will talk to you next time, and uh, bye. <laughs> He's going to be showing his ass while he reads the golden ass. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>